Well, tonight, we're going to talk about a spiritual issue. I want you to pay attention to this. That if you are wrestling with this spiritual issue, it's possible that according to our text tonight, that if you're dealing with this, you are betraying your fellow Christians, violating your relationship with God, committing an abomination, and even violating the holiness of God. Now, I want you to think about that. Because if you're like me, when I list off all of those serious consequences, you'd be thinking with me, well, what could possibly be that bad? What sins could be considered an abomination, could be considered betraying other fellow believers in Jesus Christ, could be so serious that they would violate the holiness of God? What, what could it be? Would it be a deep, dark addiction? Or the sin of idolatry and finding satisfaction and enjoying something other than the one true God? Could it be pride? And the Bible has a lot to say about pride. Well, those would be good guesses, but they're not actually what we're going to talk about tonight. Because if we look in Malachi chapter number 2, what we're going to find is that God had to say to his people Israel who he said were betraying their fellow countrymen, who were violating the holiness of God, who were committing an abomination. In the book of Malachi, he's talking about a lot of serious spiritual issues, right? Our pastor preached about um, spiritual robbery on Sunday night. That's out of the book of Malachi. Um, Several months back when we were in Malachi chapter 1, we talked about how um, the Israelites weren't really giving their all in their worship to God. And so you'd expect that in a book like that, that there would be some groundbreaking theological or spiritual issue that could possibly be labeled as that bad. But to my surprise, and maybe to yours, that the sin that the nation of Israel was dealing with, the spiritual issue they were dealing with that caused God to say that they were doing all of those things was actually marital issues. Now look at verse number 10. I'm not, I'm not making this up. Look, here, look what Malachi says in chapter number 2 and verse number 10. He says, have, not, have we not all one Father and hath not one God created us? Now listen to this. He says, why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? So he says, you've dealt treacherously with your fellow brothers. Uh, verse 10, he says, you've profaned the covenant of our fathers... He says in verse number 11 that Judah hath dealt treacherously and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And then he says, for Judah hath profaned or violated the holiness of the Lord which he loved. And the spiritual issue that he says is causing all of those things is their marriages. And so that's why I've titled the message tonight this, marriage on trial with God. Now, I can't make this stuff up. Our pastor just preached two awesome messages on marriage. But here's what we're going to find tonight. Is that in the book of Malachi, here's what he's going to show us. That there were two ways in which their marital issues were affecting their relationship with God. Are you following me? He's going to show us in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, that there were two different ways in which their marital issues 
we're not just affecting their marriages and their homes, but we're also affecting their relationship with God. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Uh, I want you to write it down. Who you marry affects your relationship with God. We're going to see that in verses 10 through 12, that who you marry affects your relationship with God. Now look at, we read verses number 11. Look at the very end of verse number 11. He says, Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved. And look what, look what caused that. He hath married the daughter of a strange God. Now why was this a problem? Okay, it wasn't that they, just because they married people of other cultures, Listen, I, I, I feel like I have to say this because there's some old school Christians that believe something that's just totally based way off from the Bible. But God is not condemning interracial marriage or marrying people of other cultures. That is not at all what this text is saying. Notice that he's not talking about their culture, but he's talking about their worship. He says, hey, listen, there's a serious issue among your people. And it's that you've married people who worship a different God. Now, why is that such an issue? Well, think about this. If, if these people married, uh, in this case, women who worshiped a different God, think about this. When you mix someone who worships a pagan God with someone who worships the one true God, you know what happens? The lowest common denominator always wins. You mix an Israelite person, here's what God is saying, with someone who worships a pagan God, guess what? That household isn't going to worship the one true God eventually you're going to find that they're going to start worshiping the pagan gods of the spouse that they married. And then here's where the problem gets even bigger. Then these people have children. And what happens? Well, their children grow up and their children don't grow up worshiping the one true God. They grow up either not caring at all about God or worshiping the pagan gods of their mom in this situation or other situations, maybe their dad. And then here's what happens. You've got mom and dad who don't worship God. You've got children who don't worship God, and then their children rub shoulders with other children. And you know what happens? Now you have neighbors who don't worship God. And here's, if you, if you understand the Old Testament, here's what happened in God's people a lot of times is that marrying people who worship different gods literally led to the downfall of their nation. We could go to the book of Numbers and the story of Balak and Balaam and and here's this guy trying to get a prophet to prophesy against God's people and try and say some, say some bad prophecy about the downfall of their nation. And, and just to sum up the story, here's what the guy said. Well, you know, I don't need to prophesy about them. If you just get God's people to marry people who don't worship the one true God, give it a couple generations and they won't be a sovereign nation anymore. So here's this issue with God's people and it's so serious that God says, hey, listen, this is so serious that not only have you violated your relationship with me, not only have you violated the holiness of God, not only have you committed an abomination, but he also says in verse number 10, or sorry, uh, the beginning of verse number 11, he says that you've betrayed your own countrymen. You know what that means? When you marry someone who doesn't worship the same God, it has an effect on your community of faith. That's what God's saying. Hey, listen, this isn't something that's just isolated to you. It's not just an issue that stays in your home, but this has a broad effect on your nation and your people. Are you following me, church? And so here's, here's the idea here. What's the correlation? Because I'm talking to a group of people who are not Israelites, 
I don't know if there's a lot of folks here wanting to marry a pagan person who worships some weird gods. But I think here's the principle in the text that when you marry an ungodly spouse, it affects your relationship with God. When you marry an ungodly spouse, it affects your relationship with God. See, you might have thought if you weren't married that you were going to get out scot-free on a message on marriage. But here's the truth. God's looking at his people, and they made a serious mistake because they married people whose allegiance was to something other than the one true God. And it was going to be the downfall of their nation. And I feel like sometimes as preachers, we can get caught in a rut and think that the only way you apply to single people who aren't married is to talk to them about marriage. Like that's the only thing they care about. And I know, I know our single folks in our church, I led the Purpose Life class for a couple of years. And I know this, that the folks in our church who are single, they walk with God, they serve God passionately, they love Jesus, and they have a lot of other things on their mind than just marriage. Newsflash, married people. Single people care about a lot, thing, a lot of things other than marriage. But it's in the text. And can I say this to those in our congregation who aren't married or are dating or even our teenagers, because it's worth repeating, because it's so important to your life, that when that decision comes up, if you meet someone, hey, listen, if you marry someone whose allegiance is not to your God, it will affect your relationship with God. It will do harm. You enjoy your relationship with God right now, that's good. But you want to know a surefire way to mess up a good relationship with God as a single person? Go on and marry someone who doesn't care about God. Say, well, they, they say they're a Christian. Well, I know a lot of people have married someone who said they're a Christian, but if they would have had some due diligence and looked in their life, they would have figured out pretty quickly that, yes, they may claim the name Christian, but they don't care a whole lot about God. Are you following me? And so here's the truth in the text. When you marry someone whose allegiance is to a different God, it will affect your relationship with God. Listen, marriage and, and your relationship with God are not separate. They are, they are very much intermingled. One affects the other. Your relationship with God affects your marriage. And your marriage affects your relationship with God. And, and so let me say this. If you're single and you're ready to mingle, you're dating, hey, don't think about marrying someone who doesn't have allegiance to God like you do. Man, it's one of the most heartbreaking things to watch people who are passionate about Jesus Get caught up in a relationship with someone that any objective observer would say, ah, I don't think this is the right direction. And so can I, can I just counsel some of you to involve some godly people in your life who can speak into your life and say, you know what? I've kind of watched them and they don't really seem to care about church. And it seems like everything, every time you invite them to church, they always have an excuse as to why they're not going to come. And let some people speak into your life. Because listen, let me, let me just say this. It's always better to wait for someone who loves Jesus than to settle for someone who doesn't. I'm going to say that again. It's always better to wait for someone who loves Jesus than to settle for someone who doesn't. Hey, marriage is great. Hey, that would be a good place for an amen, husbands. Marriage is great. There's some benefits to marriage. But listen... All of the benefits of marriage in the world cannot outweigh the heartbreak and the spiritual detriment 
that comes to you when you marry someone who doesn't have spiritual priorities like you do. So here God looks down on his people. And their relationship with God is messed up, not because they committed some spiritual sin, but because they chose to marry someone who didn't care about God like they did. But then there's a second way that marriage affects your relationship with God. And here it is. Number two, how you treat your spouse affects your relationship with God. Look at verse number 13. Verse number 13. Malachi says this, And this have ye done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out. Now pay attention to this next phrase. Insomuch that he regardeth not the offering anymore, or receiveth it with goodwill at your hand. What is verse 13 saying? Well, apparently, the people of Judah were very passionate worshipers. They would come to God, and they would lay their sacrifices down at the altar, and on no doubt, they had all their I's dotted and their T's crossed, and they did the sacrifice just right, and they would lay it down at the altar and offer it to God. And I'm not exactly sure how they figured this out, but they would offer the sacrifice up to God and it would dawn on them that God wasn't pleased with their sacrifice. So they would offer it and maybe the next time they'd offer it, but this time they would turn up the emotions a little bit. They'd turn up the knob on their emotions. And so they'd come and they'd bring their sacrifice to God and they would literally, verse 13 says, they'd be weeping and crying out and passionately offering their sacrifice to God and yet God still wouldn't care what they were offering on the altar. And so no doubt as these people are sacrificing their God, at some point they start asking, look at verse 14, it says, wherefore? God, why, why do we offer our sacrifices and yet you don't seem to accept them. God, why is it that I've, I've done everything according to the Levitical law? I've, I've offered the right type of animal. I've made sure it's the right kind uh, and, and made sure it was prepared properly and I came at the right time and I offered it. God, why is it that I do all of these things and yet it seems like you don't regard my offering? It seems like it's not acceptable to you. Now again, I don't know about you, but I would read that and think, well, maybe they messed something up or maybe it's like Cain and their heart wasn't right before the Lord and so God didn't accept his sacrifice. But you look in verse number 14 and you want to know why God didn't accept their sacrifice? Well, look at verse 14. It says this, Yet ye say wherefore, and here's the reason, because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the, what's the next word, church? Wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. So you know what God is saying there? He's saying, you want to know why I don't like your sacrifices? It's because you offer this, this big show before me and you give your sacrifices and yet back in your home, you've dealt, you've been unkindly, you've dealt unkindly with your wife. In fact, we're going to talk about this in a second, but they were literally forsaking the wives that they'd been married to for years just because they wanted to go run off with some pagan girl that was living in Judah. And so God says, hold on a second. You can give all the show you want at church, but if your marriage is messed up because you're messing it up, I don't care what sacrifices you offer. Maybe you should go fix your marriage first. Is that clear enough? And so, so God says, I don't, want, I don't want your sacrifice. I want you to fix the issue in your marriage. Well, what were they doing? Look at verse 14. 
He says, you've dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. So what, what does that mean, dealt treacherously? Well, the, the idea there is that they were acting in bad faith. They were betraying their spouse. Well, how did that show up? Well, look at verse number um, 16. You find that it says this, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. The, the word there is divorce. Here's what was happening. There are these people in Judah, and they'd been married to these, again, Jewish women who worship the one true God, but yet they lived in a land that was different nationalities and different religions. And so they, in some ways, their society was mixed with people who didn't worship God. And so here's what happened. Their eye caught, I'm guessing, some pagan woman, and they were attracted to her or whatever. And here's what was happening. They were just divorcing their wives without any biblical reason whatsoever. And of course, the Bible gives us some very narrow reasons for that. And they were just leaving their wives literally at home in heartbreak to just go marry some other lady. And they justified it because like, well, at least, you know, we're marrying them. (laughs) And so here's what God's saying. Hold on a second. You've betrayed your wife and you're going after these other women and you're divorcing the wife of your youth. Hold on a second. Look at verse number 15. God, God says, this is totally contrary to how I've designed marriage. Look at verse 15. He says, and did not he make one? You know what the idea there is? It's, didn't God create marriage to be one man and one woman for one lifetime? Now look at verse 15. He says something a little bit odd, but I think it's, it's powerful. He says, yet had he the residue of spirit. You know what that means? If God wanted to create Adam, Eve, and some other woman, God had the power when he created mankind to create a, thir- a third person there. But you know what? God didn't. He had the residue of spirit. He could have created more than a monogamous marriage. He could have created five people living together. But, and God had the power to do that, but he chose not to. You know why? Because God's design is one man, one woman, one lifetime. And here are these men who said, I'll leave the wife of my youth and I'll go divorce her and, and go pursue this other woman. And God says, hey, listen, you're violating the very design of marriage that I gave. And that's why God says, I hate divorce. It's not because every reason that divorce happens is totally against God. We can look in the New Testament and find that Jesus teaches very specifically about that. But in the context, you know why God says he hates divorce? Because he hates people who leave their spouse for no reason to go chase some other woman. I think everyone who's been divorced would say, I I hate that kind of divorce too. God says, you violated the purpose of marriage. You violated your covenant with your wife and you've dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. Now look what he says to the men. He says this twice. Look at the end of verse 15. He says, therefore, now I want you to pay attention to these two words, husbands. Take heed. Take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Now look at the end of verse 16. He repeats it. Because sometimes men need repetition. He says this at the end of verse 16. Look at this. He says, therefore, take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. You say, well, 
You see me sit, sit next to my wife, I don't, what does this have to do with me? That's a fair question. I, I, I'll admit, when I'm reading this passage, it felt like the Lord wanted me to just continue on in the study that I started a while back. What on earth does this have to say to our church? Because I don't, I don't think I know of any men in our church who are just leaving their wives willy-nilly to go pursue some other woman who worships a different God. But I began to think that in the Bible, there's this principle that when you have issues in your marriage and there's strife in your marriage, that that strife in your home or in your marriage, and you can apply it to other relationships as well. We'll talk about that in a second. That that strife has a direct effect on your relationship with God. Let me prove that to you. I believe I have 1 Peter 3, 7. Tammy, if you could put that on the screen. I don't know if you can read that. Here's what it says. It says, likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, talking about their wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life. Now pay attention to the last phrase. You can't miss this. That your prayers be not hindered. Now I don't know about you, but if someone said, Mike, I don't know if your prayers are very effective right now, I would think, man, there's some sin in my life. But here's what, Peter's saying, he's commanding these husbands, hey, just be considerate of your wife. That's basically the idea in 1 Peter 3, 7. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Don't do stuff that makes them mad. (laughs) Don't do that type of stuff. Give honor to them. Honor them as the weaker vessel. Consider that there are certain things that maybe you shouldn't make them bear themselves, that you should help them bear as a husband. It wouldn't be me to think that if I didn't follow those type of things principles and suggestions that it would affect my prayer life. But here's what Peter is saying. If you don't, if you don't give honor unto your wife, if you don't uh, care for her in the way that you should as a husband, God is so serious about that, that he willingly interrupts your relationship with him so that you can fix your relationship with your wife. Hello. Men, maybe, maybe, I could bring it down to your level. Your relationship with God, you can serve all you want in church and give as generously as you want. You could sing as loud as you want during praise time. But if there is strife in your marriage that's your fault, God says, listen, I could leave all that stuff to the side. Go fix your marriage before you try and offer sacrifices to me. You say, well, I'm not married. Well, I got news for you. Because you could apply this to every relationship. Look at Matthew 5, 23 through 24. It'll be up on the screen. He said, Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Well, let me define that for you, in case the old, older English is a little bit confusing. If you've got issues with your brother in Christ, he says, just leave your meat at the altar and go fix your issues with your brother in Christ. Leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. So there we see Jesus saying again in Matthew 5, hey, listen, if there's interpersonal conflict and it's not, he's not even applying it to the marital relationship, if you have issues with your brother in Christ, it could be someone who sits across the auditorium from you or it could be your cousin or it could be your parent. If you have issues with somebody, he says, listen, don't even bother offering sacrifices to me. Why don't you go fix your interpersonal conflict and then come back and worship me? 
So what's the principle in Malachi 2? Here it is. We'll just apply it to the marriage relationship. That mistreating your spouse, we see this all throughout the Bible, mistreating your spouse harms your fellowship with God. And I have to think that there's something in the fact that every time this comes up in the Bible, it's directed at the husbands. (laughs) I wonder why that could be. Maybe because at the end of the day, we ought to lead first in in creating harmony and peace in our marriages. Now, I've been around long enough, not a long time, to know that it's not always just the husband's fault. Sometimes it takes two to tango. Let's be real. But, but here's the principle tonight, church. I, I think God has us here for a reason because we hear two messages on marriage, one to the husbands and one to the wife. We're going to do a little bit of review in a second. But it's so easy for us to listen to messages like that and think, oh, that's great practical advice for my marriage. No, 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 hold on one second. Men, you know why you should lead your wife like Pastor Tyler talked about two weeks ago on Sunday morning? Not just because it'll help your marriage, though it will, but because if you fail to honor your responsibilities there, it will affect your relationship with God. It will. And ladies, you know why you should follow what was preached in Ephesians 5 on Sunday morning about submitting to your husband's leadership, even in all things, even though he's not always good at it? You know why you should take heed to that? Not just because it'll help your marriage, though it will. But if you do not take heed to that, it will affect your relationship with God. So before we close tonight, I thought, why try and create something new when we could just do a little bit of review and look at what we've been challenged to do as husbands. And here's what Pastor Tyler challenged us to do two Sunday mornings ago. First, he told us to lead our wife in love. Sometimes it's a little bit hard for men to be selfless, to love, to put other people first. You know why? Because we've always, we've got a mission on our heart. Sometimes we feel like other people slow us down. But men, can I, can I just caution you to, to slow down and to always look for how can I love my wife? How can I care for her first? And, and I promise you, I don't always get this right. I struggle with this myself. I don't think God expects us to be perfect, but I do think he expects progress and he expects effort. He challenged us to lead our wife in sacrifice. Men, can I ask you, when's the last time you sacrificed for your family? I feel like sometimes men always ask their families to sacrifice for their hopes, their dreams, their goals, and yet it never goes the other way. And then he challenged us to lead our wife in spiritual matters. Have you prayed? Led your family in prayer? Led your family in the word? Have you led your wife to consider what God wants in a decision? You know why that's important? Because listen, when you, when you neglect these things, it's not just about your marital relationship, but it has a direct effect on your fellowship with God. Then he challenged the wives on Sunday morning to submit voluntarily that Ephesians 5 talks about this, right? Submit yourselves. That's a voluntary exercise. Husbands don't demand submission. Wives offer it. To submit exclusively. To submit spiritually in spiritual matters. And, and probably the hardest one I would imagine is to submit entirely. Because sometimes husbands don't necessarily always lead 
the best. And so here's what, here's what Malachi is saying. That you can have a lot of other things right in your relationship with God. But if you're neglecting your spiritual responsibilities to your spouse, God sees that. Listen, God isn't distracted by the facade of you worshiping God passionately and serving in ministry. God's not distracted by that. If you come and you put on a face at church and you worship God and do your best and, and all of that and, and, and want to put off the aura that, that you're super spiritual, listen, other people may see that, but God sees right through that. And if at home you have, you have issues that are your cause in your marriage, can I just challenge you tonight, church, to deal with those? I can't help but wonder that maybe there are some who are convicted, they were changed by those Sunday morning messages, but maybe there's some who are holding on a little bit. Or maybe there's some that they were, they were stirred emotionally. Hey, I, I need to do better at that. But you haven't really done anything to actually change. So why is it important that we do things right in our marriage? Well, the first one, who you marry affects your relationship with God. If, you, if you're on the path uh, to marry someone who doesn't love God, let me, let me challenge you to seek some counsel and, and maybe even break up with that person. But here's the second one. If you're mistreating your spouse, if there's some issues in your marriage, let me encourage you to deal with those because your relationship with God, your fellowship with God, the closeness of your relationship with God depends on it and is at stake. Let's pray. Father, I hope tonight